Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. This podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com for information about voiceover services for commercials, internet and corporate videos, e-learning, phone messages, and more. Well, joining me for this episode of the podcast, my favorite person in the entire universe. The entire universe? The entire universe. That's a lot of space to be talking about. Absolutely. It's my wife, Sue. Yay! <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> I love when you say that. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of making me stay out in the hallway. <laughs> I think it's funny that uh, there's any question that I would have you back. Aww. I love doing this Aww. with you. We are in the midst of our October Halloween horror slash thriller movie watching spree. Yes. And the other night, we chose a movie that I totally forgot about. What? When putting together the list for this year. You suggested it, and I'm glad you did. Oh, me too. And we're going to talk about it today. All right. Misery. Yes. A great one, released November 30th, 1990, an estimated budget of $20 million, worldwide gross of $61.3 million, directed by Rob Reiner. And uh, I read that Rob Reiner studied pretty much all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies before he went into directing this, because as most people know, Rob Reiner, mainly known for comedy. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to really feel like he had a good grasp on a thriller. This was his first thriller then. Yeah. That's a very cool debut for him in this genre. Absolutely. It was so good. Yeah. The original story by Stephen King. The screenplay of this, written by William Goldman. Goldman also wrote the book and screenplay of another great Rob Reiner film, The Princess Bride. Nice. Among other things, he's a renowned writer. Cool. The film stars James Caan, Kathy Bates, who won a Best Actress Oscar, a first... For a woman in the horror thriller genre, Richard Farnsworth, and a special appearance, of course, by Lauren Bacall. Mm -hmm. Great cast. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people that were up for these roles. Yeah, that's amazing. As much as I love James Caan, and I do, mm -hmm. because I think he's really a really great actor, and especially all the physical work he does in this, mm -hmm. I think he's kind of eclipsed almost by Kathy Bates' performance. It would be hard for anybody not to be eclipsed by her. She yeah. was phenomenal in this movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that's I think that's how it's written, too. Well, yeah. The list of people that turned down the Paul Sheldon role in this movie is ginormous. Let's get to that. And the reason that a lot of people turned it down is because nobody wanted to be outshined by the Annie Wilkes character. Oh, well, that makes sense, then. Yeah. So, let's see. So, who are some of the people? So, some of the people that were considered for the role of Paul Sheldon. So Jack Nicholson was offered the role. Oh, really? Was this before or after The Shining? Uh, it was like a decade after. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's actually why he wasn't interested in doing it. He thought like, oh, another Stephen King story after my experience with Kubrick on The Shining. I'm not sure about that. So he was out. Yeah. And plus Stephen King did not like him in The Shining. He questioned him even being cast in that. Yeah. I think um, we talked about that Yeah, in the podcast for that movie. Yeah, because he felt like he was just, like, as soon as you see him, menacing. Right. You know yeah. he's unhinged. Right. I mean, I never read the book of The Shining, but supposedly it's a slow descent into uh, madness. Yeah. I couldn't imagine Jack Nicholson playing the part because so much of it, he's a victim. Yeah. And I can't imagine Jack Nicholson as a victim. I can only imagine him as the aggressor. That's true. With what he, you know. See, that would have been does. very cool to see Nicholson in that role huh. for that reason, now that you mention that. 
Coincidentally, James Caan had turned down the role that Nicholson played in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, wow. Which he won an Oscar for. Just a coincidence, mm-hmm. but kind of cool. According to the script's writer, William Goldman, the role of Paul Sheldon was also turned down by, get ready for this list. Okay, take a deep breath. <gasps> Warren Beatty, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Richard Dreyfus, Harrison Ford, Morgan Freeman, Mel Gibson, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Al Pacino, Robert Redford, Denzel Washington, and Bruce Willis. Wow. Bruce Willis ended up playing the role on Broadway, though. Oh. Originally, they were going to make it uh, for Broadway with Julia Roberts as Annie Wilkes. Oh, my. Stephen King was like, no. Thank you, Stephen King. Yeah. Annie is, in his words, a brawny woman who can sling a guy around, not a pixie. Yeah. And my humble opinion should be played by an actress who can act her way out of a paper bag. (laughs) You're not a fan (gasps) of Julia Roberts. You do not like Julia Roberts. I didn't say I don't like her. I don't think she has any acting talent. Okay. Fair enough. I don't, I, you know, she's, I'm trying to think if she's done a lot of like real meaty roles and, you know, I mean, she won an Oscar for Erin Brockovich, right? Yeah, but I think anyone who played that role would have won it. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. I mean, some of her movies aren't bad, but I, I agree. The role of, of Andy, all wrong for her. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So 2015, they, they did make uh, a Broadway version of this with Bruce Willis as Paul Sheldon and Laurie Metcalf as Annie Wilkes. That was probably very good. Actually. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't think of Laurie Metcalf as a real, you know, hard hitting, heavyweight kind of actress, but she's very good on stage. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's she's been around, too. Yeah. While we're talking about who was almost in this movie. Yeah. Who else could have been Annie? Angelica Houston was offered the role. And she was really interested in it. Unfortunately, she had already committed to the Grifters. Okay. That ended up working out okay for her because she was nominated for a Best Actress Oscar. Jessica Lange and Barbara Streisand were considered for the role. Okay, actually, I could see Jessica Lange. I could. She's a very, very good actress. I don't know about Barbara Streisand. It's one of those things where you probably can't imagine it, but then she would probably blow your mind. Right. You never know. So Bette Midler turned down the role because she thought it was too violent, and then she later called herself stupid for that decision. Mm, I'll agree with that, Bet. Yeah, Bet Midler, I think, has the acting chops to pull this yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. I think she would have been very good as mm-hmm. well. I mean, again, not known for this type of role. Right. She definitely, I'm sure, could pull it off. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I know a lot of the comedies we've seen her in were more dark comedies than, you know, light, happy comedies. Yeah, like Ruthless People, Down and Out in Beverly right, Hills. Right. So, let's talk about Kathy Bates. Oh, I would love to. I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's I don't think I've ever seen her in anything where she wasn't good. No. No. You know? She's amazing. And she's done a lot of different things. I mean, this is I think this was the first thing I ever saw her in. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure if this was her first role in a movie or not, but I know she had theater experience, right? Yeah. And I am partial to theater actors, I have to admit, mm-hmm. because that's my training and that's what I teach. Right. It really caused quite a difference uh, in the way she and James Kahn approached their roles, mm-hmm. because Kahn just said as little rehearsal as possible. And Kathy Bates wanted to rehearse more because of the theater background. And that was obviously going to be frustrating, right? right? If you're working with a scene partner who doesn't even want to rehearse. Yeah, which which kind of sucks. That does. That does. Because as you know, when you're working in together like that, it's teamwork, really. Yeah. Um, so she was frustrated. And she addressed it with Rob Reiner. And you know what Reiner told her? Use it. Use that frustration. Yeah. Take it out on him in the, in the scenes. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I understand that if like if Khan was the kind of person that, well, if I do if I do too much rehearsal, 
then my performance is going to be stilted because I'm const- I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, some people believe that. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't buy into that, especially with a movie actor. Movies that's all they do is a million takes. Yeah, that's true. So you have to be able to turn it on, take mm-hmm. after take after take. So I don't really understand his objection to rehearsing yeah, for that reason. Me neither. You know, if it helped Kathy Bates because of her theater experience, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I can't see where it's going to make it a bad thing overall for the movie. Either. Right. You know what, James Conn, we need to talk about this because <laughs> a lot of times you're laying there and she's doing all the work in the scene. Yeah. So, you know, show up for her. He's laying there, but that's not that easy either. I know. He's got to, you know, be a straight man Mm -hmm. for this insane person. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he has to convey a lot without Mm -hmm. being able to move and and express himself like the way, you know, you would normally. Right, right. And he's got a great face, believe me. And he's got, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I think he's phenomenal. I just feel like, you know, if she wanted to run the blocking half a dozen times, let her run the blocking. Yeah. You know, and if it's going to be a better rehearsal for her to have him there as opposed to a double. Right. So they they can really work together. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I agree with you. I mean, it is a team effort. Mm -hmm. It's all about the, everybody in the movie yeah and behind the scenes too mm-hmm. james khan i think is great in the movie oh he's phenomenal the physicality of it and that was mm-hmm. one of the things watching it this time yeah you know after seeing it a bunch of times yeah. that really i was struck by mm-hmm. he's got a tough gig yeah yeah you know, when he's not just laying there right. which probably wasn't a lot you know he's wasn't too thrilled about that mm-hmm. 15 weeks you know yeah. he was in a bed wow, during shooting but i mean when he's not laying in the bed there's a lot of physicality. Oh, when he's yeah. Falling out of the bed at one point, trying to pull himself up into the wheelchair, wheeling himself around, just a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then the stuff with the typewriter. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. It's real easy to forget that even though Kathy Bates owns this movie, mm-hmm. without somebody kind of holding down the fort a little bit right. as a straight person, right. who knows? Right. And plus, you can tell when she's adoring him mm-hmm. all the times. In the beginning, he's a little uncomfortable with it. But then you can see he learns to like play her Yes, as it goes along. And he can pull some stuff over on her because although she's a smart woman... I think he's smarter. He can't outmaneuver her, but he can outthink her. Out, yes. Outcon her. James con her. Oh, hey <laughs> He's basically thinking like a character in a story. Mm-hmm. What would the character do? How would he calm her or whatever? Yeah, yeah. You can't be dumb and be a writer. Right. At least not a good writer. Right. I mean, she's not a dummy, but she's also, dare I say, a little bit of a hayseed. A little bit. But obviously... she definitely seems a little more simple. Yes. But we also know that she has a very twisted past. That's true. When we start going through the scrapbook. Yeah. And she did earn a nursing degree, which is not easy. Right, exactly. So actually, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm rethinking this whole conversation now. But she's like from a farm, you know. Right, right. Like, it's a different lifestyle. Yeah. I'm not saying she's dumb. Right. But... Street smarts? I don't know. Mm, right, I don't know if right. the street smarts are, are the same as a guy that, you know, is from the city or whatever. Right, right. A lot of people that watch movies or, or stage performances or whatever, they don't necessarily understand the mechanics of acting. They think, oh, you just read their lines or whatever. Oh, boy, would I, would I love to have a conversation with those people. Since you're an acting teacher, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the process of getting into your character. Okay, There's a few questions you ask yourself about your character. Your character asks, who am I? What do I want? What's in my way? And what am I going to do to get there? Okay. So you have to take the given circumstances of the situation that you're in, the the things that you can't change, like perhaps the location, the fact that it's winter, you know, they get snowed in, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. 
and you start really building layers of mm-hmm. character. And I, I kind of tell them to think of it as instead of peeling an onion, all the layers coming out, you're actually adding layers okay. to your character. But then you have to come down to the why. Why is the character really doing what they're doing? And of course, you have to you know read the entire script. In a case like this, I'm sure the actor has read the book for more information. But sometimes all the answers aren't there. So in order to create a backstory that's really convincing and just makes sense for your character, Mm -hmm. you may just have to make stuff up. Okay. But if you make stuff up that makes sense for your character, Mm -hmm. it provides all of that motivation for you. Right. So in Kathy Bates's instance, she worked with Rob Reiner because obviously you have to have your director's agreement on any backstory you come up with. Right. They agreed that in Annie's backstory that she was molested by her father as a child. Yeah, that'll fuck you up. Yeah. So that definitely explains why Annie had a history of, you know, killing infants, killing old people, the reactions she has, the turning on a dime. Yes. When she took goes to instant rage. And I was thinking about this today. I actually talked about this in my acting class the other day. Okay. You know, I was just so, you know, oh my gosh, you know, have you ever seen misery? And the students, half of them knew it and half of them didn't. I said, watch it. If you want to see a completely developed character, watch Kathy Bates in this. I was thinking about it. And you know the scene where it's raining and she's just blue? You know, she says, it just kind of makes me blue. Yeah. And at that point, I almost thought like that's young Annie talking, Mm. you know, and it's so different from grown up Annie. Yeah. And then boom, on goes another layer. Oh, I'm like, I'm getting chills just talking about her. Yeah. On the surface, it seems like she's just this crazy person. But clearly, like when we first meet her Mm -hmm. and she's dragging him out of the car. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. She obviously really cares about him and she doesn't really lose her shit completely until she finds out that he kills Misery. Right. That is just the ultimate turning point for her. Yeah. And at that point, she almost doesn't care about him anymore. Yeah. All she cares about is that he's well enough to fix that. Right. Grave error that he made. Right. Which is kind of funny. I mean, we can't talk about misery without talking about the hobbling scene. Oh, my gosh. I mean. It's brutal. Yeah. And it's actually way worse in the book. You know, in the movie, she takes the wooden block. She puts it between his ankles and then takes the sledgehammer and goes to town. Wow. In the book, Annie cuts his left foot off with an axe. Oh, my God. And then cauterizes it with a blowtorch. Okay. All right. At least she stops the bleeding. Yeah. Well, she doesn't want him to bleed out because he has to fix the story. Yeah. So they changed it for a lot of reasons. First off, they didn't want to have that much gore in the movie. That that probably would have been a little too much. That might be over the top. Nowadays, you probably would do that. Yeah, that's true. Because you could probably do it pretty easily with CGI. Yeah. And nowadays, people want that yeah. in movies. They want it over the top. Yeah. But in 1990 or 89, when they made this, mm-hmm. you know. That's true. There was violence in movies, but, you know, that could have been, like, too much. Yeah, yeah. And in a way... It would have taken away from the story, too. Mm-hmm. That was another thing they said. Overall, they felt that it didn't serve the character's story as well in the movie okay. for him to lose the foot. Okay. Aside so from the gore. How there Was there a lot of CGI in the, that time frame? No. Actually, uh, everything was done with all kinds of cool effects. So James Conn's legs were fake, obviously. Right. They were molded out of gelatin. Oh, wow. And then armatures with wire were put in for prosthetic ankles. So when she hit him, it would do that cool uh, <laughs> Okay. Move. Yeah, like, oh, a foot's really not supposed to be bent at that yeah. angle from the leg. Yeah, exactly. I have seen um, injuries like that in football. Oh, my gosh. And other, you know, sports. Mm-hmm. When somebody steps wrong or, you know, whatever. Whoa. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in the movie, I still... I mean, I've seen this movie... Quite a few times at yeah. this point since it came out. Yeah. 
And that scene is always like... Every yeah, time, yeah. you know, it's it's brutal. Yeah, I am like tensing as I see it coming. And then when it happens, it just it it still shocks me. Yeah, I like uh, <laughs> James Caan was at a screening with Rob Reiner at that scene. When it when it happens, he turns to him and goes, you're a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> this also goes back to uh, how great of an actress Kathy Bates is. Mm-hmm. She's nothing like Annie Wilkes, obviously. I'm glad to hear that. In fact, she was so upset by like how violent that was mm-hmm. that she actually cried between takes. Like She really struggled to really hold it together filming that scene. I believe that. That and the fight scene at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely believe that. Nowadays, if you were filming that kind of a scene, mm-hmm. there would be intimacy coaches mm-hmm. and other people on set to help the actors with the transition in and out of character. Yeah. Because it's really hard. Back then, they didn't have that. Nobody yeah. really knew that, gee, this might kind of mess you up. Yeah, I mean, you've heard stories, uh, you know, about actors who really got deep into a role and they had a hard time shaking it. Yeah. Afterward, there was rumors that Heath Ledger, when he played the Joker in The Dark Knight, that he really had a hard time letting go. Hopefully that's not true. And hopefully that wasn't what led to his demise. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? It's, yeah. it's probably very tough, especially when you're playing somebody this crazy yeah. and over the top yeah. and violent. Yeah. I once read an interview with Brian Cranston talking about playing Walter White. Mm-hmm. And he said that at the end of a shooting day, that he would literally go through a, a mental process of taking off the character. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. so that way he could leave it behind. He's so good in that show. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout the podcast, we've been talking about the differences between the book and the movie. The character of Virginia, the sheriff's wife, yeah. not in the book. Interesting. So I, I think that that was a good call. I like that. I like their yeah. dynamic. You feel even worse when Buster gets shot. I was you know, just going to say that. Yeah. Hole through him. You're like, oh, he's going to find him. And then boom. And then that. Yeah. And then you start to think, oh, man, his wife's a his widow. Wife, yeah. You know, that's unresolved. The story ends and we never find out, well, how is Virginia taking the loss of her husband? Right. You right. Know, and Which is kind of interesting. I mean, I love the fact that they work together. Mm-hmm. She's there in the office, too, and she dares to clean up his desk. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to find anything. And, <laughs> I have a system. You know, um, but I also love the scene where they're both in bed reading the books. Is she reading them? too? Yeah. Oh, yep. OK. Yeah, they both are. OK. You know, and that's when he comes across the quote. Right. You know, that sounds familiar. So he writes it down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just the fact that, you know, there they are. And they're such a cute couple. Mm-hmm. And she always has a little, you know, sassy something to say to him. And I love how he says to her, you know, well, there's that spice. Yeah. You know, and I keep thinking, oh, that, that could be us in 20 years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's us now. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think that's a much needed source of levity in this movie. Yeah. At yeah. times. Mm-hmm. I love well, when they're when they're driving. She puts her <laughs> hand on his leg. Yeah. Virginia, <laughs> when we're home. We're husband and wife, but when we're in this car, you're my deputy. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Good stuff. So another thing I read was that Stephen King had a typewriter in real life that didn't have a working end key, like Paul Sheldon's typewriter in the movie. Typewriters were awesome. Tom Hanks collects Uh typewriters. Oh, cool. That's sort of well documented. Yeah. He'll appreciate this fact. The typewriter that Annie buys for Paul to use is a Royal Model 10. The Royal 10 was one of the first successfully mass-produced typewriters and kind of set the standard for the industry. Produced between 1914 and 1934. And Paul's model can be pinpointed to be from between 1914 and 1923 due to the double-paneled beveled glass located on both sides of the machine. Models from 1924 to 34 had only single paneled beveled glass. Obviously trying to save some pennies there in production, I guess. I guess. But yeah, so there you go, Tom Hanks. That one's for you. (laughs) 
because Tom Hanks will be listening to this. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be amazing. Love you. Rob Reiner has a cameo in this movie that I missed every single time I watched it. Wait, I, who, really? Yeah, he's the helicopter pilot when Buster is like oh, come flying on. over her ranch and stuff and they're looking for yeah. any kind of clues. He's the helicopter pilot. And the reason I don't think I realized it was him all the times I watched the movie, he's wearing sunglasses. Okay. He says nothing. Right. Because Rob Reiner, if you ever hear him talk, he's got a very distinct yeah. voice and mm-hmm. accent and all Cadence. that. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing is that he does not have a full beard. He only has a mustache. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen him with just a... Wait, actually... Just a mustache and all in the family, for yes, sure. Yes, that's right, actually. Yeah. But since then... Yeah, he's always had a beard. Yep. A beard so, and a baseball cap. Uh, let's see. The title of Paul's non-misery novel at the end of the film, if oh, you're keeping yeah. score, is The Higher Education of J. Philip Stone. You never know when that'll come up. So is that what he had originally written? No. That was in the beginning was untitled by Paul Sheldon? No, that no. she made him burn? That's a different book. Totally different. Oh. Yeah. There's a couple of other cool things, too, to look for. During the scrapbook scene, mm-hmm. when they do a close-up of any of the articles, if you look very carefully, it's just like one or two paragraphs paragraphs continuously repeated. I never really noticed that because I'm not looking for that. Oh, I love to look at stuff like that and I did not notice that. The manuscript that he burns. Yeah, yeah. You know, the original story Mm -hmm. that was untitled. She lights the paper and then we see the close-up of the words. Yeah, you can see some of it. (laughs) You look at that carefully. It's an article about Cameron Crowe, another great director and and writer, talking about what an amazing scriptwriter he is. And then it talks about his movies, but mostly say anything. Okay. So that's kind of interesting, too. Annie Wilkes ranked the 17th most iconic villain in the American Film Institute's list of 100 heroes and villains. Wow. That's right up there. That is way up there. If you're a big fan of this movie mm-hmm. and you want more Annie Wilkes, uh-huh. there's a Hulu series. Castle Rock? Season two of Castle Rock on Hulu is a prequel to Misery. Season two is the Lizzie Kaplan one, right? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So it's all about Annie. So yeah, I want to watch that. We, yeah. we have it in the queue. We just haven't gotten to well, it yet. Oh, boy. Sometimes when I watch this, I see all the snow. I think back to The Shining. And then I, as the, you know, the older gentleman goes to investigate and possibly help and mm-hmm. ends up getting killed. I think back to The Shining also. Yeah. There are some similarities there that I thought were interesting. I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think there are actually connections to the characters in most of Stephen King's books. Yeah, some of them live in the same universe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and in fact, I think the Paul Sheldon character knows a character that was in It. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely some ties with all of his stories, pretty yeah. much. The guy has an incredible imagination. You know, it's just amazing how he comes up with all this stuff. Yeah. You can't say enough about Stephen King as a writer. Yeah. I mean, I love, I I don't think I've ever read anything of his that I didn't like. You know, I've recommended to other people, you Mm -hmm. know, even if it's like a collection of short stories. Yeah. I can't imagine just being able to create all of that because there has to be some madness to it. There really does. Yeah. If all of this is in your head. Yeah. You know, and then to be able to, you know, write it down and create this world. That's so amazing. I think that's probably the thing that's that saved him. Imagine carrying all these stories, all these ideas, all these thoughts, and not having an outlet for them, a creative outlet. That could be a really dangerous person, probably. That could be, yeah. I think as uh, fans of these stories, we should be grateful for Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> that absolutely. That he has the outlet. Yep. And in this case, for the actors, for being able to bring the characters to life so great. Yeah. So wonderfully. I can watch comedy movies endlessly and still enjoy them every time. Yes, he can. I can. And it's very rare that a drama or a horror or a thriller that I want to watch it over and over again. Yeah. Misery I can watch 
over and over again and never get tired of it. I mean, obviously, after you see it the first time, that initial, oh my God, you know, right. the jarring right. kind of aspect of it yeah. is lost. But it's still just great to watch for the acting performances, mm-hmm. for the for the way it's executed with the, mm-hmm. with the direction, All the story. All the details you can start picking out and really like looking at and really appreciating. Exactly. You know, like I said, I never really thought about how grueling physically the role of Paul Sheldon was for James Caan. Right, right. But when he fell out of that bed the first time, both of us went, oh. Yeah. Like we reacted as if like we could feel it. Yeah. Such a great movie. It's just so good. It's just so good. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Misery? I was just so looking forward to recording all day. Oh, cool. (laughs) While I was at work, I was thinking, oh, I just can't wait to go home and be in misery with my husband. Wait, what? Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for doing this episode with me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the next one. We got to start doing these more often. I think so. This is fun. Yeah. I like this. (laughs) This is nice. (laughs) The Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast is a production of Jason Davis voiceover. Hey, that's me. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com. If you need a voice for a commercial, internet or corporate video, e-learning, phone message, whatever you need, you can find me on Twitter at Jason Davis Voice. And special thanks to Jason Shaw at audionautics.com for the podcast intro music. Thanks for listening. Cock-a-doodie!